Okay, Shalom. Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. The Torah portion this week is Ki Sisa. However, once again, we'll be focusing on Purim. This uh, this week is Purim. So we'll be focusing on a Purim discourse that the Rebbe gave in 1968. Okay, it's based on the verse, Balayla hahu nadadash on that night, the king's sleep was disturbed. So let's give a little bit of uh, introduction. And and from there, we'll see where this uh, lecture is taking us. So the title is, Does God Sleep? Question mark. And the subtitle is, On that night, the king's sleep was disturbed, which is in the book of Esther, chapter 6, verse 1. So let's go over a little bit of the Purim story as it unfolds in the book of Esther and see where books where chapter 6 begins so until chapter 6 the Haman's plot to kill the Jewish people is building and unfolding um, at the end of chapter 5 Haman actually comes he decides that he wants to go ahead and not wait until he's going to have all the Jewish people God forbid killed he wants Mordechai hung immediately and he has this idea, he comes up with his wife and his kids and his friends that they're going to build gallows 50 cubits high and he's going to hang Mordechai on it. And he comes to the courtyard of the king and he's waiting for the king to wake up to present his request to the king if he can please have hang Mordechai. Okay, chapter 6 begins. Chapter 6 is where the turn of events happen. And it begins with the verse, as I just read to you, on that night the king's sleep was disturbed. And let's just talk about the simple story before we get into any mystical teachings. And because he can't sleep, he asks one of his people to read for him from his book of records, Sefer Zichronot, where he puts down a sort of diary. And they read to him that Mordechai, they read to him the story that Mordechai saved the king's life. What happened was that the king had two people that served him. One's name was Bixan and the other one's name was Seresh. And they tried to poison the king. And Mordechai found out about this and he let the king know and he saved the king's life. As they read to the king the story, so the king asked the person who was reading him what, uh, what was written there and he asked him, what did we reward Mordechai for saving my life? And he answered, Mordechai received no reward. So the king asked, looking for advice on what he should do for Mordechai for saving his life. He asked, who's in the courtyard? And they let him know that Haman is in the courtyard. And he says, let him come in. Haman comes in and the king asks to him, what should be done to he who the king finds favor uh, the king, he finds favor in the king's eyes. Haman, of course, thinks, who could the king mean but me? So he starts giving a detailed description of what should be done to such a person. The person should be clothed in the, in the royal garments, and he should be on top of the royal horse, and the royal minister should go ahead in front of him and announce, so shall be done to the king, to he who the king finds fit in his eyes. And that's when... He reveals the king, the king Achashverosh reveals to Haman that I am speaking of Mordechai, go quickly and do everything you just said, do it to Mordechai and do not leave out any detail. And that's where the turn of events start taking place. Okay? Now, there's an interesting custom uh, by, by a man called Rab Jacob Halevi. Rab Jacob, Rab Yaakov Halevi is known as the Maharil. And he lived from the years 1360 to 1427. And he was a mighty giant in uh, law. And he wrote a bunch, a lot about different customs. And he writes as follows. That when you get up to this verse, our verse that we're talking about, chapter 6, verse 1, you should raise your voice. The one who's reading, the, the reader should raise his voice. So if you pay attention, when they read the Megillah, you'll hear all of a sudden he goes loud. Where does that come from? The Maharil. And the Maharil explains why should you raise your voice when you get up to that verse. 
And he writes because that is tokvoy, the might of the miracle. That is the power of the miracle right there in that verse. Okay. So we have questions. They ask questions on this. What do you mean that is the tokvoy? That is the strength, the power, the might of the miracle. Simply speaking, the might of the miracle is when Esther begins to ask Ahasuerus to come partake in a special dinner, only him and Haman. That point which leads up to Esther revealing that she is a Jewess and that this man Haman is trying to kill her and her people, that is the part of the major might of the miracle. So why are we saying that, no, this verse, chapter 6, verse 1, that's where the might of the miracle becomes, begins, is. Even more so, the question is that simply speaking, that's the turning point. Until then, it's getting worse and worse and worse, and that's the turning point. That's the first time where we see Haman starts falling. But if you're careful with what the Maril says, he says this very verse, not the whole story that begins here, not that all of a sudden Haman is walking around in front of the horse leading Mordechai. But this very, very verse is the might of the miracle. This very verse that says on that night the king's sleep was disturbed, that is the might of the miracle. And the question is why? So commentaries use a medrash, Yalko Shimoni, to explain what this is. And the Yalkushmoni says as follows. He says a very, very, very powerful concept. He says that when it says, On that night, the king's sleep was disturbed. The Yalkushmoni says that we're talking about Malko Shel Olam. The mystical teaching here is that we're talking about God, the king of the universe. And now we understand that this verse says that God Almighty, so to speak, his sleep was disturbed on that night. What does that mean? To understand what that means, we need to go to a verse in Tehillim. The verse in Tehillim of chapter 20 of chapter 121 verse 4 what does it say hine lo yanum velo yishan shomer yisrael behold the guardian of israel will neither slumber nor sleep and the, the concept that we're saying here is what does it mean if god doesn't sleep then what does it mean that night his sleep was disturbed so what the chassidus is explaining is the mystical insight here is that the revelation of that the guardian of Israel does not sleep and does not slumber took place on that night. The revelation of. God never sleeps. That's what the verse says. But we're soon going to see that we need that to be in revelation. It should be in a revealed state that God is up, awake, actively protecting the Jewish people. The guardian of Israel. And now we understand that when we talk about that 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 on that night in chapter six verse one, the might, the might of the miracle is the revelation that God neither the guardian of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. And obviously the question is, this is a verse that refers to every single day and every single week and every single month and every single year and every single generation. Why are we saying that this is the might of the miracle? The guardian of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. This, in this verse, when it talks about it, that's the might of the miracle. So to understand this, we're going to have to go to another entire teaching. A teaching, a very amazing teaching on the Mishnah, on the chapter, on ethics of our father, chapter 2, Mishnah 1. It says over there as follows, and I'm going to read it to you, okay? Know what is above you, a seeing eye, a listening ear, and all your deeds being inscribed in a book. What's the simple teaching of this Mishnah? 
The simple teaching is, if you're always conscious, know what is above you. And if you know what is above you, which is now these three things, the eye that's always watching, the ear that's always listening, and everything you're doing is being inscribed, that will keep you from sinning. That's a simple understanding of this Mishnah in Ethics of Our Father. Da mala mala mach, know what is above from you, above you, and then you'll never sin. It's the simple reason why we wear a keeper, right? Keeper is called Yarmaka, Yore Malka, fear of the king. That's why we do these things, to keep us conscious that God is the eye is always watching us and the ear is always listening to us. Comes along the Alter Rebbe of Zaman of Laidi, the founder of Chabad Labavitch, and he gives a very interesting twist to the words of this Mishnah. Da, you should know. Mala Mala, everything that happens above, Mimach is from you. A whole twist that you should know. Everything that's happening by God and by the angels and the spiritual realms is a reflection, is an effect of your cause. Da, no, mala, mala, whatever is taking place up there, mimach, is from you. Caused by your actions down here. A very, a very interesting twist. So much so that everything that takes place, even that which is above and beyond the cause and effect relationship that God has with us, because at Mount Sinai, God introduced us a cause and effect relationship, right? The verse says, and if you shall walk in my statutes, then I will. That means that there's a cause and effect now. We do and God reacts to what we do. But then there are things that are so mighty and so infinite and so omnipotent that they are beyond the cause and effect. Even those things we're taught, da mala mala is mimach. It comes from you. You have to prepare yourself and behave in accordance with that to be able to become a receptacle, a vessel of even that. So what we're learning here is that everything that happens above comes from you. So too with this verse. You means you and me. Each and every one of us. The mission is talking to each and every one of us. Every one of us should know that what happens above is a reaction, is a reflection of what we do down here. What does that mean? Let's go back to that verse. That means that on that night the king's sleep was disturbed. That is a reaction to us. So there is by us this concept on a spiritual level that we are sleeping. There is by us a concept that we are not sleeping nor slumbering. And then there is a concept that when we are asleep, on that night, night refers to exile, on that night, the sleep was disturbed. So now that we're saying that everything that happens above comes from us, so this whole concept of neither sleep nor slumber, or yes sleep, or being disturbed from sleep, is all a reflection of what we're doing. So we have to give a good look at what it means to us that we are asleep in exile. What does it mean that we are not asleep in exile? What does it mean that we're asleep and that we awaken from our sleep? Because all those things is what's causing what's happening right here. And if we can understand this cause and effect of what happens when the soul is in a state of sleep, and what happens when the soul is awake? And what happens when the soul awakens everything within us? Then we can understand what the Maril is saying. That this concept of On this night, the king's sleep was disturbed. This is This is the might of the entire miracle of the entire Purim story. Okay? So now let's go ahead and look what this means. To understand this, I'm going to introduce you to a verse in King Solomon says in his book of songs, it's in chapter 5, verse 2, and I'll read you the entire verse, and we're going to be really taking apart this verse piece by piece and learning very, you know, a lot of times when I, when I prepare this class, I have to take a mimer that the Rebbe is saying based upon so many things that the Rebbe expects us to already know. This mimer 
it's just so beautifully lined up that really I'm doing nothing more than translating to you the mimer. It's not like these times where I have to dissect it and put it back together so that we can all share it. This mimer is just an unbelievable mimer. The Rebbe takes you step by step through the concept of being asleep, through the concept of being awake, through the concept, wa concept of waking up. So let's go to this verse because this verse is what we're going to be focusing on. Okay? I sleep, but my heart is awake. Hark, my beloved is knocking. Open for me, my sister, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is full of dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Okay? That's a verse in Shir Ashir, in the Book of Songs. Now let's start. Let's start with just the first piece. I sleep. What does it mean, I sleep, in a spiritual way? King Solomon is talking about us in a state of exile. Okay? I am asleep, and the commentaries explain, in exile. So let's look at what does sleeping mean. In the physical sense, what does sleeping mean? When you're asleep, the motor part of your brain, the part that controls every part of your body, is awake. You're breathing while you're sleeping. Your body is doing stuff. Your stomach is digesting. Everything is happening. What is missing is the higher sensitivities of the soul, the mind, the brain. That is asleep. Where do you see that most? In your eyes. When you're sleeping versus when you're awake. When you're awake, what happens? When you're awake, you see what's going on around you. You understand what's going on around you, right? So the eyes in the physical sense and the eyes in the metaphorical sense that your mind sees and understands. What happens when you're asleep? As the Zohar says upon the verse, the guardian of Israel does not slumber, the Zohar says that the lids do not, are not covering the eyes. That means that when you're asleep, it means that you're not able to see what's going on. Now, what is this concept of not being able to see what's going on? See, here's a very interesting thing. The verse you all know says, Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one. That word, Shema, here, Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, our sages teach us that the word Shema is made up of three letters, the Shin, the Mem, and the Ayin which is an acronym to the first three words of a very important verse. Se'u marom enechem ure'u mi bara'ele. Se'u marom enechem. The first letter of those three words spells out Shema. What does it mean? Lift up your eyes and see who created these. Being awake, being awake simply means that our eyes are open to see our mind sees and what does it see who created all of these and when you have your eyes open when you're not asleep when you have your eyes open and you're lifting your eyes and you're open to the consciousness that God created everything what is the next outcome of that that immediately we internalize and proclaim God is our God God is one that's what it calls being, that's what it means to be awake. However, what happens when the lids of the animalistic soul is covering our eyes? We can't see. And what it means over here is metaphorically that we don't even, we're not conscious of what we're seeing. With our eyes open, we're sleeping. We don't know how to lift our eyes. There's an interesting teaching on this verse, The interesting teaching is that the difference in a human and an animal is that an animal is created in a sense that it looks down. It doesn't lift its head to look up. The human being is created straight up so he can fulfill this verse of lift your eyes and see. When the animalistic soul is covering our eyes, it's covering our consciousness that we cannot perform the Shema. We cannot perform the lift your eyes and see. We cannot become conscious, very conscious of who created all of these. Then we're lacking 
in that state of awake with his soul internalizes and screams out, cries out, God is our God, God is one. And when the animalistic soul, the lids, cover your eyes, you go into a deeper state of sleep, which is dreaming. What is dreaming in a spiritual sense? And here we're talking about it as a negative experience. Because the positive experience we're talking about is that you need to be awake, conscious, eyes open, see, know what you're seeing. So we're talking about dreams here now in a negative experience. What is the negative concept of dreams? The negative concept of dreams is based on a very interesting teaching in the Talmud. The Talmud tells a story that a rabbi, a great sage, he dreamt of an elephant passing through the eye of a needle. Now, when you're in a, uh, your brain is awake, your conscious mind must either shrink the elephant or enlarge the eye of the needle. It is impossible for the conscious mind to have a vision of an elephant the size of an elephant passing through the eye of a needle the size of an eye of a needle. That can only happen in a state of sleep. What does this mean in a negative sense? What this means in a negative sense is that the mind of the Jew can totally embrace a simple verse in Deuteronomy which says, Banim Atem Lashem Alakechem, you are children to God your Lord. And even though he sees that, the huge size of the elephant, the mightiness of the Jewish people, Banim Atem Lashem Alakechem, and nevertheless he can indulge his entire life in physical and coarse pursuits. That's the sense of the dream that once you don't keep your eyes open, lift them to heaven and see who created this. The deeper sense is that not only you don't see what there is to see, but you start entering into a world of a dream where total paradoxical opposites can coexist. So yes, I know the verse says that Banim Atem Lashem Elokechem, you are children to Lord your God, and nevertheless, that has no impact upon me to put my entire life's pursuit, instead of behaving like a child of God, to completely pursue only physical and coarse lifestyle. That's what the sleeping is all about. However, let's go to the next words of the verse. The verse said, I am, a, I am sleeping, and our sages say in exile, but what's the next words? Velibiar, but my heart is awake. What does that mean? What it means is, as we know, and we've seen, we know friends, we hear stories, we read stories of the total, total illogical heart of a Jew. Where all of a sudden it just makes a complete U-turn, pursuing wealth and fame and power, and all of a sudden something ticks. We call that, in simple layman terms, that little spark of the soul. Last week we spoke about the spark of creator within the creation. That never sleeps. My heart is awake. Now it's because that every single Jew within the core of his being has a heart that's awake no matter of the depth and darkness of exile Therefore, the rest of the verse can happen. What is the rest of the verse? The rest of the verse is that the voice of God knocks on the door of the heart and says what? Pischuli, open for me. And not only does it say open for me, but then it goes on to four different stages. What are those four different stages? He says, number one, my sister. Number two, my beloved, number three, my dove, Yonati, Yona, a dove, and number four, Tamati, my perfect one. Now what we're going to do is understand what these four stages are in two different dimensions. We're going to talk about it in the level of loving God. The soul has four different levels of loving God. I know last week we spoke about three, right? With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. Now we're talking about four different levels of love 
And we're also going to talk about four different expressions in the service to God. And why so? Because the soul is made up of all these things. God refers to the soul as my sister, my beloved, my dove, Yonati, and Tamati, my perfect one. So let's talk about these four different stages, okay? But before that, I want to just say that, you know, God approaches everyone in his or her present state. In other words, God is very conscious that because of exile, what's going on? Because of exile, I am asleep, right? That's what the Jew says, I am asleep. So God knows that we're asleep. So God's not coming, you know, with the full band and the music and wants us to jump into a dance. He asks just for one little thing at first. What is that one little thing? Pischuli, open up for me. The Medrash Rabbah and Shira Shirim on this verse says, what does Pischuli mean, open up for me? Open up for me means as the eye of a needle. Open up for me as the opening of an eye of a needle. The teaching is actually very beautiful. It says that God says, open up your heart for me. Just that small tiny opening, the size of an eye of a needle, and I will open it up as the greatest entranceway of the ulam, the biggest gate, the doorway to the holy temple. By the way, you should know, interesting, just to share with you, I had a teacher who used to say, all you have to do is open up like the size of an eye of a needle. But the trick is don't, not to make a scratch, but a hole through and through. You know, don't just make a little engraving. Keep on going until you break through an entire opening. That entire opening can be the size of an eye of a needle, but it has to be an entire opening to allow for God to enter. So the first thing God asks us is, Pischuli, open up for me. We're talking about the eye of a needle. Now, the, the Rebbe explains a very interesting Hasidic insight. What does it mean, the eye of a needle? We're talking about a certain level of the soul. What is that level of the soul? That is the pintelayid, the chispa de chudio, that little tiny spark that's completely humble before God and embraces illogical self-sacrifice. It has no feelings. It has no power of perception. It's just the absolute nullification and humbleness before God against everything. And that's why I said to you before that when you see a Jew all of a sudden walk away from everything, his or her entire life was banging on the big doors in Hollywood, wanting to become the big what? And all of a sudden something clicks and they walk away. All of a sudden there's a change. That little eye of a needle opened up and divinity is flowing. Now what does God say? That little chispa de judio, that little spark of God, what we need you to do is, we need you to help it grow and to slowly but surely permeate the entire body and wake the body up. And how does that little spark of God within us wake us up more and more and more? It's through these four stages. Stage number one, my sister. What does it mean, my sister? Simply speaking, what it means is this is an inherent natural love. This is the type of love that just flows through us naturally. The soul has a natural love for God just as a brother has a natural love for a sister. This is not something you have to create within you, transform within you. It is natural. All we're asking is get out of the way. Your soul naturally loves God. The sister. Here's a very interesting thing. So we're talking about the natural love. What does it mean in the service to God? How does one serve God as a sister of God? The soul serving God as a sister of God is a play of the word. Does anyone know how we say sister in Hebrew? Achot. It's very interesting. However, the Talmud talks about a play of the word. It's not really the word achot, but it's almost the same word. It calls it the mending, Alexandrian mending. 
there was a specific type of stitch that was called the Alexandrian bending. Ichui Alexandri. Ichui, from the same word of achot. What does it mean to mend? What it means is to bring together, sew together two opposites. How do Jews bring together and correct and mend two opposites? By doing a mitzvah. What do you do when you take a mitzvah? You're taking a physical object and using it for a spiritual reason. That means that you are doing now the ichui, you're mending, you're bringing back together something that was separated after creation. After creation, heaven and earth was separated, spiritual and physical was separated. But along comes a Jew after receiving the Torah and goes ahead and takes physical candles and lights them and makes a blessing for Shabbat. Takes physical wine, lifts the cup, the silver cup, and makes Kiddush. All the things a Jew does, a Jew works so hard to earn money, takes a couple of coins and puts it into the pushka, the charity box. Just took those physical coins and all the energy it took to make that money and all of a sudden turned it into a spiritual cause. So the service of sister is number one, natural love, not something you created. The natural love that siblings have. And number two, it's the mending together the physical and the spiritual, which is the performance of mitzvot. Let's go to the next level of waking up. The next level of waking up is my beloved. My beloved refers to a spouse. Very interesting. But the love you have for your spouse is not natural like you have for your siblings. The minute you're born, you're born into a family, you love your, your, your siblings. However, when you marry someone, it's through the contemplation and the, con the concentration of the virtues of that individual that creates love. We're not talking about, oh, I, I saw her and the first moment I knew I was in love with her. We're not talking about that. We're talking about real love. Real love is, happens by concentration. Who is she? What does she mean to me? I'll tell you a very interesting story. The Rebbe once asked his emissary, his shliach in... Italy, the next time you write to me a letter, the Rebbe tells the Shliach, I want you to write to me your thoughts about your wife. Okay. Now this man, I mean, he should live and be well. But he, he's an amazing chassid. And the Rebbe told him to do that, and that's what he did. You're talking about a man that besides running whole Italy and opening up the first camp ever, Camp Gan Yisrael, and doing all those amazing stuff, he also he spends hours every single day on prayer. He's, not, he's a very spiritual person. But the Rebbe tells him to write his thoughts about his wife. So he sits down and he writes his thoughts. And then at the end he says, he's apologizing to the Rebbe if he elaborated too much on this topic. And the Rebbe's answer to that letter, the Rebbe just crossed out those words, elaborated too much. Now, I'm not a Rebbe, and the Rebbe didn't say why he wanted it. However, to me, this always spoke to me exactly what we're talking about right here. If you don't, set away time to concentrate on the virtues of your soulmate, on the virtues of your spouse, then the love doesn't run naturally. The love has to be fed by the contemplation and the understanding of who she is and what she is to you. So in love, we're talking about now what love the soul has for God by contemplating on the greatness, the virtues, the closeness of God, the kindness of God. That's a whole different love. It's not just a natural love that flows because I come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, therefore I love God. No, this is the type of love that comes from thinking. Now, what is this in the service to God? In the service to God, there's a very interesting play that the word my beloved also can mean my sustainer. Rayati parnasati, my sustenance. Now, when we talk about sustenance, we're talking about Torah study. Because unlike mitzvot, which is compared to garments, we get encompassed and clothed by the will of God. When we study Torah, we digest. It's actually called bread. Torah is metaphorically called bread. It is the bread within my stomach. Because when you study Torah, your mind is digesting the wisdom and the understanding of God, it becomes our new paradigm and perception of existence and reality.
So now we have the second one, my beloved, which is also my sustenance, which is the love that comes through concentration, and it's the, it's the service of Torah study. However, and the Rebbe explains why Kabbalistically, I'm just going to share with you what it is without the why. This level of Torah study that's called sustenance actually refers to the articulation of the words of Torah. The verse says that Torah is a life for those who bring it out. Motzi ehem. And what do we say? It means to articulate it. My grandfather, a blessed memory, would always tell me there are three things you need to do in order to remember what you're studying. Number one, say the words. Don't just read it in your mind. Number two, say it with a tune. The tune that you hear in yeshivas and people studying Torah, that helps remember it. Number three, he told me, it says you should study at night. What you study at night, you remember a lot better than what you study at day. At day, generally, the atmosphere is very tumultuous. At night, it's calmer. So when you talk about enunciate, articulate the words of Torah. Let's go to the next one. Then you wake up even more. So you go from the pintalayid, that little spark, to the being a sister, naturally loving God and mending the universe, physical and spiritual, by doing mitzvot. Then you have my beloved, which is the love that comes from concentrating on who our spouse is, the virtues of God, the greatness of God, the compassion of God, the closeness of God. And in service, that means internalizing Torah study. And Torah study is what? Through the pronunciation of the words of Torah. Now goes the next one. What's the next one? My dove. What's a dove? You guys know the expression of love doves, right? The, the birds that love. Why? A dove, two doves, a pair of doves are consistently looking at each other. Right? One of the things you can drive a dove crazy with is putting a mirror in the uh, in its cage because doves look at each other consistently why do they look at them each other consistently that's driven by a very deep pleasure of love what we're talking about over here in the service of god is that type of love that the pleasure you have in seeing god in feeling god in every detail of your life Whatever happens, whatever goes on, the Baruch Hashem, everything is Hashem, Hashem. That type of love from having consistent eye contact with God. That comes from the deep concentration of the study of Torah. And that deep concentration of the study of Torah is driven by that pleasure of being able to have the understanding of the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God. And how God is in every single part of your life. And that's why we call it my dove. That's the level of the soul which never takes its eyes off of God. Everything that happens in life is all about God. It's about studying and understanding the oneness of God, the wisdom of God, that depth of Torah study. And then we have the fourth level, the fourth and final level. The fourth and final level is tamati. That means my perfect one. What does it mean, my perfect one? That's a very interesting level. You see, the first three levels of the soul was all about tikkun hanefesh. You're familiar with the words tikkun hanefesh? Tikkun hanefesh means the correction of the soul. A soul comes down, and you know, the first time it's perfect, but after that there's always tikkun, tikkun. We're correcting. Now the correction of the soul, the first three services and the first three loves of my sister, my beloved, and my dove. All of those are about correcting your soul. It's about me. Tomati, the perfect one, is actually the level of the soul which steps out of itself. It's not what I'm doing to correct myself. It's rather what I'm doing to help others. It is actually called in the world of Kabbalah that level, that great level, which actually is mashlim. It completes. It brings a wholesomeness to other souls and even, so to speak, to the Creator. It's that level where, so to speak, we bring a wholesomeness to God. And that can only happen by us stepping out of ourselves.
as long as it's all about me and my tikkun, and am I loving God enough, and am I serving God enough, that's not bringing a wholesomeness to all my twin souls, and it's not bringing a wholesomeness, so to speak, to my Creator. But when I'm willing to step out of myself, that allows for a greater spirituality, which brings a wholesomeness to my fellow souls, and even a wholesomeness to my Creator. So there you go. You have the waking up, opening your eyes, seeing the Se'umar Omanechem. And that has to penetrate and come out in the levels, all four levels, until we're completely awake. So before I go further into the last point of this teaching, I want to just recap, because this, this is a, it's a very detailed teaching. So let's go over this, okay? We spoke that the sleep, the king's sleep being disturbed, chapter 6, verse 1, what does, it re what does it actually speak about? It speaks about the king of the universe, and that is, behold, the garden of Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And that has to be brought out in Revelation. What, do we have, what else do we speak about? Know that all that is above comes from you here below. So too, God's, so to speak, state of slumber and God's state of does not slumber comes from our service here below. How we're, how we're doing, the cause and effect. Next thing we spoke about, that the concept of sleep is primarily with the eyes. When our eyes are closed and we do not see, we do not see physically and we do not see also mentally what's going on around us. What does that mean to us in our service to God? The first word of the Shema Yisrael. Lift up your eyes and see who created all of this. When the animalistics lids, the animalistic soul's lids are upon my eyes that I cannot see this, I cannot remain conscious of this, then I fall into a state of slumber. And that causes that effect above that the that which we say the guardian of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers is not revealed okay then we spoke about that even in exile when we're asleep our heart is awake and because that pintalayid is awake therefore we have God knocking on the door of our heart and says open for me what does it mean open for me just that humble opening of the size of an eye of a needle and then from there we must stir that and bring that into the levels of all four which is sister beloved dove and perfect one and we explained that in the levels of love and the service of God so I did a recap because there is so many details but the point the point here is that when we speak about that the God's sleep the king's sleep was disturbed on that night we're talking about something which is a reaction to what we're doing and what makes it so great, what makes it so great is even though that we were in a state of sleep and we did not deserve this, nevertheless, there was a miracle from above. And that's what we're going to talk about now in closing. The closing question we have to deal with is, how does the knocking voice of God wake us up when we are sleeping? We just said that everything that happens above comes from us. We're in a state of sleep. So how is it that the knocking voice of God wakes us up? God is reacting. He's reflecting what we're doing. So how is it that when we're asleep, His voice wakes us up? Let's go back to that verse of King Solomon. We're now going to just define that last piece of the verse, which sounds like poetry, but there's nothing that's poetry in the Torah. It's all crystal clear perfect. What was the closing part of the verse? For my head is full of dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Why did King Solomon choose the word do? Tau. D-E-W. All of a sudden, he decides to be poetic. Why is God waking us up? Right? I am asleep, but my heart is awake. And God knocks on my heart and says, Pischuli, open for me, my, my sister, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one. And then he gives a reason. Why is he doing this? He says why. Because my head is full of dew. What does dew have to do with anything? Here's a very interesting concept. You will remember, please, that throughout the Torah, we are warned many times about the rain. And if you will walk in my statutes, then the rain will be given on time. And then in the second part of the Shema, what do we say? However, beware, because if you will not listen to me, 
then the heavens will close up and there will not be the rains. God keeps on working with us with the rain. You behave, you get rain. You don't behave, you won't get rain. There are entire laws. There's almost an entire tractic called fasting, Ta'anit, which talks about the laws of fasting, praying, doing teshuva because of a drought. A drought means that there's something we're doing wrong because the God tells us clearly in the Torah so many times, if you behave, you'll get the rains on time. If you don't behave, the heavens will close up on you. Over and over we have that. You ever notice that God never threatens us with do? The Talmud gives a verdict. Tal loma atzer. The do will never be held back. In Kabbalah, this is very huge. By the way, parenthetically speaking, the resurrection, if you learn Kabbalah, the resurrection happens by what? By the dew of resurrection. By Mount Sinai, when the Jews kept on dying, and we all know that God kept on resurrecting the Jews, they shouldn't die, they were dying in every utterance of God. Again, we're taught that they were resurrected by the dew. Why? Because the Kabbalah tells us that when the Talmud says that the dew is never held back, that means the dew transcends beyond the cause and effect. There is nothing I can do to mess up that act of compassion that God gives due to the world. Because that transcends beyond. It's omnipotently beyond that cause and effect relationship. That's why the verse says, you are asleep and therefore we can't rely now on a cause and effect because if we rely on a cause and effect, you're asleep, I should be asleep. My whole concept of Hine lo yanum velo yishan shomei Yisrael should be hidden and concealed. The fact that God, the guardian of Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps should be completely concealed from the universe because everything is cause and effect. We are in exile, our eyes are closed, we don't, we cannot capable of lifting our eyes and seeing, seeing with the eyes in our head and the eyes in our mind. And therefore, what should be the reaction? Not that God's knocking on my door, but rather that God should also, quote unquote, be asleep in his relationship with me. And therefore, King Solomon says, no, the reason why God's doing this, even though we're sleeping, is because this comes from the do. That which is beyond, transcends beyond the cause and effect relationship. And here the Rebbe twists in something. Because if you remember, how did the Mimer begin? That even that which is above and beyond us, our cause and effect, even there we have to play a role. God's ultimate desire is that everything should come from us, from creatures of freedom of choice. So even the fact that we're asleep and God is nevertheless because of do, which means the great level that transcends beyond cause and effect. Even there, it's because of us. How is it because of us? Because the verse says that even when I sleep, my heart is awake. What part of the heart are we talking about? We're talking about the essence of the soul, that one dot that knows nothing but self-sacrifice for God. Do you know that the Jewish people for the entire year, if you know the story of Purim, when you read it, you may not get the timeline, but there was an entire year because really everything started, the whole story started in the month of Nisan and it went all the way till next year. It was set for the date in Adar. For that entire year, the Jewish people of that generation had absolute self-sacrifice for the guidance of Mordechai. Even though it was pitch black dark, they saw no hope. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. Nevertheless, we're taught that even when the wicked people came and Mordechai was learning with just the children, he told the children, run away and save yourself. And they said, absolutely not. Where you are, we are. What happens to you happens to us. Once the Jew was able to just open up that little eye of a needle, what is the eye of the needle of the soul? It's the essence of the soul. 
that which even in absolute pitch black darkness, no feelings for God, no perception of God, no spirituality in my life. But nevertheless, there's that one pintle yid that at a snap has self-sacrifice for God. That one pintle yid, that opened for me. That's the opening of the verse, open for me. That's the first thing God says when he knocks. He doesn't knock on the door and say, oh, come to me, my beloved. My No, he starts off with what? Open for me. What kind of opening? Just the eye of a needle. Let me just sense that little drop of the soul that has absolute self-sacrifice, and then I'll take care of the rest. I'll come knocking on your door. I will shower you with the praises of my sister, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one. We'll wake up together. But I need at least that one pischuli. That is the magnitude of the miracle. That when we were absolutely asleep, drunken, in the, in the confusion of exile, the darkness, and nevertheless, we were able to have that one drop which was able to bring about on that night, which night? The darkness of exile. We sunk completely into the pursuit of physical pleasures. It all happened because the Jews went to eat from King Ahasuerus' famous meal. And they were serving on the utensils of the holy temple. And the Jews were so insensitive that they went to enjoy the food from that meal. That's the night that we're talking about. And in that depth of sleeping, of slumber of the soul, what happened? Because God knocked and the Jews had that self-sacrifice to be so dedicated to Mordechai, all of a sudden everything changed. On that night the sleep of the king was disturbed and the Jews brought forth the total revelation that the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And the end was that a horrible time turned into the greatest holiday of joy and the house of Haman was transformed and given over to the house of Mordechai. And as we say about Purim, that you're supposed to connect redemption to redemption. So may the redemption of Purim bring us speedily to the redemption of Mashiach Tzidkenu. Thank you.